Welcome to the new Training Ground Guru podcast brought to you in association with Huddle. This monthly show is going to take you behind the scenes in professional football. For our first episode, Simon Austin went to meet former Birmingham, Derby, and Stoke manager Gary Rowett at the Belfry Resort in Warwickshire. Joining them were Rowett's former head of performance, Dave Carolan, and his head of analysis, Joe Carnell. They give an insight into their roles, how they work together as a team, and reflected on their time in football. Now, over to Simon. So we're here at the Belfry for our first episode. Thanks very much for joining us. No problem. No, Good to be here. I was just going to kick off, actually, by asking what you've been up to since you've been out of the game and how you found it. So, Gary, first of all. I think the first thing you do is you you, you spend a bit of time with the family. You know, I've got four kids as, as a... Some of us, as I was looking at Joe, and he's got a dog. I don't think he's got kids yet. Have you, so. no, there's no kids so, on the way. But Dave has. So, yeah, it's, I think, you, you know, when you're in it 24 hours, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on the jobs that we do, although they're not, it's not pressure in the sense of, you know, some people have pressure, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a release. So, so spend a bit of time with the family. Started trying to lose a bit of weight. I did nothing for eight months. I watched these lot running around the training ground and trying to, trying to stay fit. I did nothing, but I'm back out running pitifully described as running but I'm starting to starting to get there starting to enjoy it and nice to be able to reflect as well we're looking to head out to Germany next week aren't we to to watch a couple of games so again it's just trying to see how you can improve what you've done previously and 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 make sure you're ready when we get the call I think it's probably different for for myself and Dave because obviously like with the software companies that we use and and all the different uh different sides of our of our roles like, like we've spent we went in with the gaffer to uh, to visit Opta and Scout Seven, just to kind of have a look what they're doing, what, what's new on their agenda, and also just to reflect on our our time that we spent at, at Stoke and previous seasons within the Championship. And I think everything once you're out of work goes towards building a blueprint of you can't really predict where you're going to be, but just trying to build that blueprint and see what you need probably in in, in the next job and and the way that the Championship's changing and and what it takes basically to get promoted out of the league. You know, and I think uh, we've done a lot of research into that from a technical point of view. Dave's looked into it from a, a physical point of view. So it probably sounds really boring, but spent a lot of time behind a computer screen watching games, looking at data. You love that, Joe, don't I you? Love that. I love it. like you. That's like you looking at... That's no. my excuse when so- women in bikinis or something. That's that's like the same thing. Yeah, I can't get away with even with the missus. I'll watch a football match instead. So so no, so that's that's basically like what we've been what we've been trying to do. It sounds boring, but it's just trying to prepare ourselves really that we're, we're as prepared for the whatever comes at us next. Well, yeah, I've got the three kids and a dog, so uh, I can manage to, to marry <laughs> up the computer. other two. And a computer, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's the conference season, sports science and performance. So, yeah, a lot of time uh, going down, seeing people at conferences or presenting at conferences. And again, yeah, as Joe says, you, you, you use this time hopefully effectively to reflect on what you've done in the past and trying to find out how you can project that into the future and what kind of work you want to do when we get the next project, wherever that might be, and how we can work better. And it's also a great time to make contact with a lot of the community that you you only have a, a fleeting communication with throughout the season because you're you're busy in competition and everyone's got their guard up when you're at you know various clubs. But as soon as you're out of work, you know, kind of the barriers come down. So people are more than happy for you to come in and chat and share 
information and practice and and that's a great way of staying on top of the game and keeping your keeping your saw sharp sharpened so when the next opportunity comes you you're still ready and, and eager to to improve and learn and go forward i think anybody that follows dave on twitter can realize that dave spent most of his time talking about brexit and various various other things as well, Dave. Yeah, before well, we, we have banned, to make we banned him talking yeah. about Brexit. He can't talk you about Brexit in a weekend. Yeah. No, we can talk about it, but Dave can't. <laughs> yeah, it was always a great point of banter between uh, some of the previous coaches. Yeah, who, who so, Mark Sale. <laughs> Mark Sale, you know, in deep Staffordshire, who wanted to make sure that, you know, got out of the UK and EU partnership as quick as possible. So... But what we've actually done is broken that partnership, so we don't see him anymore. Don't see him. <laughs> for now, yeah. For when, now. yeah when, when HS2 goes through his backyard as well, yeah. I voted for that. As well, yeah, 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 there you go. He'll be happy with you. That was interesting about that period of reflection and analysis. Has that kind of brought anything up? Of you, are there things you would do differently on reflection? Bearing that in mind. I think there's always things you do differently on reflection. I think that's a, that's what people probably don't realise or don't see that when a manager loses his job or staff lose their job, you know, as a team, but you look at it as a team and you and you basically got an opportunity to sit back and say, what could we do better? Or what do we do, what do we do quite well? You know, what did we not do not so well? And it's like anything, you know, we started with a philosophy many, many moons ago, but that grows the more you work with each other and you all get a bit better understanding and it changes you know it's constantly sort of changing a little bit but around the same parameters and I think that the beauty of it is that when you're in it you know you don't people don't realize that you know you're in it it's so hard to reflect you can take your eye off the ball so easily I call it the fog that's what I call it because there's so many you know you just everything becomes a little bit of a blur when you're working and it's very difficult to to step away and actually look at it objectively. And I think that's what it gives you when you're, when you're out of it. It gives you a real chance to look objectively. And what we've done is we've, we've spent quite a bit of time together discussing it. And it's, it's quite, you, you actually, in some ways, you lose your job, you improve what you're doing or you improve your, your philosophy and the structure of the way you work. And it just moves forward a little bit. So you know, that, that's the one thing certainly I've found that it's a, you get a lot more clarity when you're out of work for a spell then, of course, you want to get back into work so you can see if, if um, you know, your, your, your ideas work. Well, looking back, why didn't it work out, do you think? At Stoke? Yeah. I think it's so, so, I think it's so difficult to, to give any one reason. I think you know, spoke quite a lot in the media about different things. And, of course, also you, try, you, know, you want to be respectful to the, to the club and everything. I think one thing, you know, I, I, from my point of view, I've, I mean, there were so many different challenges, I think, from a team that, has lost an awful lot of confidence and probably got used to conceding goals and losing games for for a period of time. But, you know, to expect them to bounce, well, teams don't generally bounce back up after being relegated from the Premier League. But of course, that was our aim and that was what we were always going to get judged on. So you understand that. But I think one of the reasons for me personally is that I think the frustration of eight months there, just not quite, there's so many different things to, to battle against. The frustration with that, combined with I, I I've always been a great believer maybe I have to change my belief that honesty is a, is the way to go so we, we tried to be quite honest I tried to be quite honest with the fans and almost call out one or two problems thinking they should know you know it's fair for them to know they've had a lot of crap basically for the 18 months and it was it was important that they understood what we were going from but maybe in a frustrated way it probably didn't come out quite right and uh, I think that went against me really but I don't you know I think you, you make mistakes as a manager but my opinion is that 
you're better off being honest rather than just tell people what they want to hear so that you can last longer in a job. That's You have a principle, and if that's your principle, I think you have to stick with it. But I, from my point of view, I'll certainly learn certain things. You know, don't do a press, co- don't do a press conference really angry after a game. That's, for, that's, <laughs> that's the golden motto. Do you give any sort of handover when you leave? Would any of you do that? <laughs> we handed over the car keys and the laptop. That's about as much of a handover as you get. Put all your books and anything you own into a box and you just hand over your keys. And you fob. I still have my fob, by the way, from Derby. I had to give it back. Uh, no, you don't. And that's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Strange, when I, it? it was funny, actually. I mean, I'll tell you this sort of story briefly and I'm sure I'm legally allowed to tell this. But when we left Birmingham, I remember getting called into I spoke about it before, got called into a room. I thought I was meeting the owners, effectively walked in and knew straight away I was getting sacked because I could just you could just sense it straight away. Two of the directors and, and that was it. At this point, obviously you don't you presume they've just made that decision and and then you know they're gonna then search for a new manager like you just imagine. So anyway, so I actually said to them, people I actually said to them, look Whoever the next person is, obviously, we've done a lot of work here. You know, in my opinion, we've always said the same. You can't just leave it behind and just move on straight away. So I said, look, if, if that person needs any help, you know, feel free to get them to call me and we'll just at least try to give them an understanding of whether they listen or not or are interested, but we'll give them an understanding of what it is we've seen and, and maybe help that process. <laughs> Two hours later, they appointed the new manager. So it was just a strange time. But we've all said the same, haven't we? We, we probably offered our services. Yeah. In fact, I think when I left Derby, I, I said, you know, I'll, I'll help anyone if Frank needs any help. And it wasn't necessarily that he needed help and people then misconstrued yeah. that as, you've left, he don't need help. Get you know. So the point is, when you've worked hard somewhere for a year or two, regardless of the circumstances you're leaving, you feel you can actually help that organisation yeah. yeah. just by giving information. It's like any job, isn't it? Whether yeah. that information's right, whether anyone wants to listen, but it surely it helps to understand a little bit what the previous managers challenges or or, or been i think what's nice is that you don't necessarily hand over like, information or, or whatnot but in a strange way we kept in touch with a lot of people uh, at the clubs that we've been at mm-hmm. you know so and and they'll still ring us for a catch-up or if they want advice or it, it, stupid things like we leave stoke and to be fair we had some really nice phone calls from a lot of people and and i think i think you, you keep in touch that way and i think that's that's credit to to, to, to how we've worked with people that they they still want to keep in touch and they know that they can just pick up the phone should they ever need us and it's vice versa you know like we'll do the same same with those and I think it's like you play a game against Derby and, and you, you see the staff or you play against Birmingham or, or, or whatever I think it's nice that even though you haven't handed over immediately to the new staff that are coming in at least the staff that you work with still still feel that they can they can talk to you and you can still have banter and, and keep in touch and I think we all have. I think we've kept in touch with a lot of people. It's a lot of good people, aren't it? We've yeah, worked with a lot yeah, of good people man. at Birmingham, at Derby, yeah. at Stoke. You know, it's been been you know you, you meet different people along mm-hmm. the way, don't you? But yeah. but you know, all come from different backgrounds and and in an ideal world, we've spoken about it before, haven't we? If you could just set a club up where you literally restructure the whole thing around you know good people in the right positions, you know, you'd have an amazing. Yeah. Amazing yeah. environment, of course. You know, financially, you can't you can't do that. I think mm. if you're given genuine offers of help to people who come in, uh, quite often it's the case that they haven't necessarily been seeking out to try and get your job. They've ended up in potentially what was your job before. And if you're making a genuine effort to assist someone or help them, you know, why would those people necessarily not want to take that up? But you know, mm. you, you can't judge everyone on 
your kind of standards of maybe how you go about work and and some people just don't want to help anyway you know so has anyone ever taken you up on that then and given you a call your successor well i still i still speak to a lot of people at birmingham that 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 either worked with with me in the analysis department and still speak to people at derby within the analysis department and 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 staff and joe's really popular is what he's saying no well yeah (laughs) not only that it's because my amazing coat collection before any of you say anything <laughs> but now i think i think football's quite quite a like a closed off like profession people don't quite like telling each other how they do things or different practices but i think if you're open enough yourself with other people like you, you can start breaking down those those walls and i think uh if i can't do something or if i'm stuck with how to do something i'm more than happy to ring ring up somebody at another club and asking for their help and uh and, and their, their direction Definitely. Yeah, I had a colleague phone me last night who's at a club who is having a bit of a tough time at the moment and just wants a bit of advice, a bit of mentoring, you know, what would you do? And, you know, we're there to help each other. You know, it's a small enough community that you're helping people on the way up the ladder. You hope that in the future that helps you out potentially because, you you know, you build a, a reputation as being someone who's out there for the community and helping people as opposed to just after looking after yourself or it's that very gladiatorial kind of that non-league mentality of you know everybody else is rubbish and you're the best you know so i think you know people want to help each other if they can but whether everyone wants to be helped is a different matter i think i think that works back to the sort of one of the first points you made about when when we've left clubs and how that works one thing i found was absolutely amazing i remember it distinctly when i first left when when we first left birmingham the amount of people that ring you the amount of people it's such a you know, you're fighting against people on a Saturday. You're, you're, you're abusing each other on the touchline managers. And, and, and then afterwards, you have a beer together. I, honestly, I remember distinctly the next morning, I didn't, I didn't know him that well. I only come across him a few times. I had a, I had a message on the phone at 7 o'clock, Tony Pulis. Gary, where are you? Get up. Get yourself in the gym. We're in the gym doing a stuff workout, listening to Smooth FM. And it was brilliant. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll be forever thankful for someone like that because... There's no need for them to do it. They don't have to do it. There's just a community within football where, you know, as much animosity as there can be, everybody will help each other. And one thing I never, ever did as a manager is when I, when I heard about people getting a sacked, I never really did anything about it. Now what I try to do is I try to text those people and the same because it's just another message. It doesn't matter who it's from. It's not going to change their life. But ultimately, it's just a supportive message, mm-hmm. you know, that you think that you hope it helps them a little bit. Because there'll be, man, you know, I've read a few managers in League Two, League One got sacked recently. I'll text one of them. I can imagine after he's been sacked, te- you know, after he's lost his job, he'd be on the floor. Yeah. Be absolutely, you know who I'm on about because yeah. you know him as well. Yeah. He'd be on that floor because he tr- he's worked so hard at a difficult club with no money, with limited chance of success. And you don't know what they're going through now. So again, if you can help them in some way, that's what football's about for yeah. me. The community is yeah, a lot stronger than people actually Give it credit for. I think Did you go in the gym with uh, Tony? On FaceTime. On FaceTime. I've seen him doing all those rowing challenges and whatnot. So yeah. I still think he'll probably batter us in the gym. He's 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 the worst one to stand on the sideline to because he's so he just abuses you for the whole game. But he's a great. But he's the best one after the game. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. But you know he didn't have to do that, did he? And you read about other people in the game that help other people out, you know, and it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic, I think I, uh, you know, after, after that, I got a message from someone at Tottenham saying, Maurizio Positino saying, if you want to come in and watch a couple of days training, you don't know these people, but what you, what you're amazed at is how 
how helpful these people are in a community where everyone's in it, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone understands the same challenges. Everyone, everyone knows, knows how it's hard like. it is. And everyone get, knows everyone how hard it is. How so, hard yeah, it is yeah. And yeah. how much, how yeah. much of your time it takes. I think st- again, that people don't realize how, how unsociable the, the actual work is. I think everyone sees you working in football and I've got friends. Oh, you're working in football. It's brilliant and whatever, but actually it takes you away from your family for a, a massive, massive chunk of time. Even when you're at home, you can't switch up from it because you're constantly thinking about stuff or you're watching games and you're watching players or whatever. So it is, it, it absolutely consumes you when you're in oh, it. And I think yeah. these people, these people understand that, you know, so, so the minute you, you leave somewhere or you're no longer in it, no matter how much it consumes you, you, you do miss it. And I think these people know because they're living it every single day that, that just a phone call or a text message, will just pick you up a little bit, you know, so, and everyone, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's in yeah. the same yeah, boat. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, they've either been in it before or they're fearful of being in it, you know, so they, they kind of are projecting their future onto you, you know, that, you know, if, if they're in that same situation, they'd appreciate the support, you know, and the gaffer is absolutely right, you know, in terms of the offers to go into clubs or visit or even in our case, maybe the tech companies mm-hmm. who are saying, come in and see what we're doing in the future. And, you know, can you give us a bit of guidance as to how we can, better serve the uh, the needs of the community, you know, because not everyone wants to do that when they're full-time job. They're too busy, you know. They've, they haven't got time for those kind of support services to really go, you know, really deep into how the product development might be helping us in the future. But I think that's that's a fantastic point, you know, in terms of, you know, those offers. And sometimes they come weeks later and they're, they're sometimes the best ones, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you get a load of them kind of within 48 hours, and then you suddenly get one six weeks later that's come out of the blue and which says, you know, come on in or come on over. What was the one we tried to just, you, you said there was like a, an event at UFC in LA. Yeah. And we tried to justify it, didn't we? We tried to say, oh, this is a really good... Uh, leaders really, and performance. This, yeah. Leaders and performance. This would be a really good course <laughs> to go on. I remember trying to tell my, tell my wife, I said, yeah, Dave. I said, I blame Dave. I said, yeah, Dave's got this um, great course that he thinks we can go on. Where is it? Uh, it's in Los Angeles. I never, we never quite managed to get that one passed through. We did get really cheap Norwegian <laughs> air flights, you know, so we were being, you know... I didn't careful I didn't, with our money. I didn't get an invite. You get scared, Jim. I didn't know about Germany. Have you had <laughs> offers to get back in since? Yeah, I think you know straight away. I found had a couple of couple of offers that weren't quite. It, it's a difficult one in football because you know you can you can sometimes you can get back in pretty quick, but it's not necessarily the type of job. Obviously, you're not, you, you know, you can't, we're not going to sit there and be horrendously picky or, you know, be, you know, we understand. We've worked, I've worked at League Two, so I've got no qualms about what level that I work at. But ultimately, we've been in the championship for for um, a good few years now and I think had some some different types of success, depending on how you define success. I don't really like using that word because mm-hmm. I think it's everyone's definition of it, depending on the circumstances. So you end up waiting for what you feel is the right opportunity and... and you know that could you could get that in a month. You could get that in a year. I mean, that's the only thing that I found. I found it really difficult after leaving Birmingham. That was that was it was the waiting. It was almost waiting for the right chance to come along, and it's a real weird feeling when you're waiting for something. If you're in any line of business where you can, it's up to you how quick you get a job. You could be working the next day, you know, and earning money. But ultimately, in football, it's waiting for the right type of one where you feel like you can have success so and of course as well we've got you know there's quite a, we've got quite a good you know we've got a really good team that we've built up over a period of time now and I think again it's trying to get the right opportunity where you know 
we can take the vast majority of, of that team with us. You know, it's not, it's no good me getting a job tomorrow and I can't take the guys with me. I know they understand the scenarios, but, you know, you want to all go and have the best possible chance because that's, I'm sure it's something we'll speak about more, but it's so important to have that alignment with the staff. You know, it's very easy to go in somewhere where there's not the alignment and it, it makes it 20 times more difficult. But when you all understand how you work and, and it's not just the coaching side, the analysis side, the recruitment side, the, the physical side, the sports science side, the performance side, it's all aligned. It has to all be aligned of how you want to play. And that's, you know, that's, that's we found more and more that the more aligned you are and the better you are as a group, then, then that helps you be mm. successful. Yeah. And would you always go as a team? Yeah. I think, a leading question. Yeah. I mean, look, we've got, I mean, there's, you know, we could have had 10 of us sat around here. Do you know what I mean? Oh, could you? Other, yeah, because yeah. there's other guys, there's other guys we work with, you know, there's coaches we work with, you know, and there's coaches we, we've not been able to bring to certain clubs, but we would obviously in the future, you'd, you'd look at working with together. But I think what you, again, what's really difficult is it's really difficult to go into a club and suddenly for someone to understand how you play if they've never really seen you play. You know, how long does that, I mean, we're talking about some of the challenges with players and with with clubs in terms of getting results working quickly, you know, to, for you to have to do that with members of staff on every single way of working is, is would in fact, the thought of that now actually would be so difficult, wouldn't it? You know, yeah, imagine going yeah. to work with a different manager, you'd be able to do it, but it would take you a long time to really understand the nuances of how you play and how they work and how you'd fit that into the training program or the weekly program. So I think, yes, you want to, we've, you know, we've got a good team and we want to try and, Stay as you can't all, you know, look, you can't take 10 people wherever you go, but there's four or five people that we all, we, you know, we've worked together for a long time now. You know, we've worked, we've worked pretty well, I'd say. Yeah, I think it's similar for myself and Dave. You know, we work in our own little departments, the, the support from the support side of it. And, and like we'd have people that, that we'd like to work with or, or people that we know have got a, a certain skill set that, that we'd, that maybe clubs that we go to like don't have that already in place. You know, so it's it's similar for us, but obviously on a on a lower level than the from the coaching side of it. You know, but we'd have had access to people at various clubs that I think we see a massive importance. So personally, I think the data analyst side of it is 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 huge. You know, so so to be able to go somewhere that's either got that in place already, or, or at least has an open mind to to bring that in and develop it, is 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 huge for me. Yeah. Th- and similarly across in the kind of performance world, you know, we, we've got to, you know, interact and work alongside uh, the medical department, S&C department. We're also reliant on all the data that comes through from performance analysis. You're trying to blend all those together. Now, you, you've also got a manager who's trying to manage a team and all the players and all the things higher up in the food chain as well. So I think having a group of people who work really tightly, understand how they, they all tick, almost can predict their next move before it's happened allows us to you know be a step ahead of the game and it also then allows us to kind of micromanage our own departments you know and getting those aligned to whatever our philosophy might be because especially if they've been embedded with a previous one maybe for a long time or a number of them over a short time you've got to get them all thinking how you need them to work and that might be changing their systems and their processes. It might actually be changing some of those people. But, you know, fundamentally, we've got to go in there and, you know, get things shaped up how we need them to work really, really quickly. I think the other thing as well is you, 
because we, you know, you, there's got to be an element of trust. So I think the fact that we've all worked together for a long time, we, you know, we trust each other. And also you want to have fun. I think that's the one thing we've we found. It's very easy to lose sight of that. You know, we love our job. We love football. We love our jobs. We love working together. Sounds like some sort of romantic novel, doesn't it? But, <laughs> I'll, start, I'll, ease, I'll ease back a little bit. But, but you've got to have, a, you know, there's times where you've got to have a bit of fun as well. It's like any line of work, isn't it? You know, if you're, you're together, you know, I'm, I was going to say nine till five. Sometimes, well, most of the time, it'll be seven till six. You know, people don't realise we're in the office at seven. Well, us three were. Most of the other lads are coming about eight. But we'd be in about seven o'clock. And, and you know, when you're spending that much time together, Sometimes, actually, you just need to have a bit of a laugh. I mean, you know, we've we've all still keep in touch on the old group chat, don't we? I, I don't think we can divulge the contents of that group chat, but but we've had a laugh, haven't we? Do you know what I mean? And we still stay in touch with each other, and and that's a big part of it. You know, you get a team of people who enjoy working together. Mm-hmm. You know, that that then reflects onto the players, and they can sense that. You know, so I think Scott Sellers said it recently about serious fun. Yeah, and that was a yeah. term that he used, and I think. Again, like we've spoke about that a lot. That's been a big part of our philosophy wherever we've been, you know. And I think we get a lot more out of the players when they yeah. when they are enjoying it. You know, it's like anything. If you enjoy your job, you're going to perform perform better. So I think I think that was really he's termed it perfectly. Really serious fun. Yeah, I asked Rennie Moulinstein actually about the secrets of working with Sir Alex, and he just said they had a brilliant laugh every day. And if yeah. you look at photos, they are laughing a lot. Yeah, yeah. Which you never think of that with Sir Alex, do you? No, really? no, and, no. And that people talk about that, don't they? It's the mm. human side, isn't it? It's like any business that's got people in it. You know, those human elements are the most important bits. You know, I think I don't care who you are, what you do. You know, everyone has an element of knowledge about football or the product. Everyone works in sim- similar ways. You know, there's similar ways because there's so much information out there. And I think really it's how you it's how you project those ideas onto the players and how you deal with the players. You know, so I think a, there's a study in management in there, something like the three what the what the three best qualities, most common qualities in a manager. And everyone, you know, in your mind you think it's going to be intelligence, you know, information or skill or whatever. And it's humility, honesty. Tr- you know, they're all they're all those human qualities, and that's one thing we've always tried to do. I think the problem sometimes is if you talk about like you were saying earlier about, you know, we don't tend in this country, we don't tend to sing, shout from the rooftops about what we do. You know, if a lot of the foreign coaches come and just by nature of their accent, they sound like they talk about the technicalities of the game a lot more. If you talk, an English man, you know, you tend to talk about fun all the time. It sounds like you're a bit of a dinosaur yeah, and that's all you do. Yeah. You just mess about and have a bit of fun with the lads and that's it. But the reality is those environments have a really strong mix of like, it's a very demanding environment but you can enjoy it yeah, while you're working yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. We've found that, haven't we? We've always found better responses from players yeah, yeah. if they're respected and they enjoy. They look forward to coming into work. I think that's staff as well, isn't it? You yeah. don't want to come in and not well, want see, to be You there. see that across the clubs, though, you know, when you go in and you find out that they've been you know, suppressed. You yeah. know, they've, they've, they've had a previous regime or you know, an atmosphere around the club which is not being conducive to people enjoying what they do. And yeah, we need a job at those places, Dave, afterwards. <laughs> That's what we need. We find out what clubs they are. It's not, it's not just the fun element, though, either, is it? It's, it's the, we found that the most success that we've had is, and again, it's not, not talking about nanny state, but as being as positive as, as, as we possibly can be, you know, and that's a, that's a big, big part of it. I'm not saying you can't criticise players, and, you know, but we've got the best best performances out of teams that we've been as positive as, as we possibly can because it is very easy to, to become negative about 
about things, you know, and, and that, that like snow, it's got the snowball effect, but especially if you're not winning games, that's a, mm. that's a fight. That's a, always happens anywhere. Doesn't yeah. it? You're not winning games and you clubs and managers find it hard to get out of that rut and you can feel the negativity yeah. from outside, can't you? And we've been involved in that type of run where it's hard to bounce out of that. that. And we've often done it where someone's come in, one of, one of you lot or me or anyone's gone, you know what? I think it was Dave, that, that, I think it was one point at Stoke, I'm sure or one of you came in and said, look, I really just think we just got to try and be as positive. And you, and you look back at the previous two weeks, you think, He's right, you know. Yeah. We've kind of just got so bogged yeah, down no, by all the challenges. Me. It was you, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Was me. Yeah. I, I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like, you've been thinking about it on your three-hour journey from North, haven't you? I'll tell you difference. what it was. I, I bought in some Cheerios in the morning. So oh, that, that what yeah, it was? I think that skipped his you, you, skipped his memory. You eating your you, you two eating your breakfast in your office <laughs> every morning, feeding each other money. Subliminally affected me. Stick that one on the board. Hey, Cheerios. A Cheerio should should the head of performance be eating Cheerios? Well, I didn't just a question. I'd like to think so. It was more keeping Joe company. Ah, I like those kind of Cheerios and chocolate in the morning. Crying, crying to me breakfast. It was vegan chocolate, but okay. <laughs> I was just thinking actually when you were talking about the foreign managers and you said about Pochettino offering you a chance to go in did you go in? I think I, w- I think we got back into work yeah, around that time right yeah. so often, right. you often plan it mm. you often plan it and then you know things happen and you end up back in work and you, you, you can't then do it we had a lot of conversations <laughs> with, with, especially with Tottenham about how they how they were doing things from, yeah, from, yeah, from, from, a, yeah. from a human perspective, you know, people spoke about Pochettino is absolutely brilliant. You know, the way, the way he treats the players and deals with the players. Again, I'm only talking about what people have told me, but said he's obviously a brilliant, brilliant coach, but said he's fantastic man management, man management with the players. You know, I think you, you, when you're out, you, you look for any opportunity you can to, to improve. And it's sometimes it's hard because you have these ideas and it's just fitting them in, isn't it? So, you know, that's that's what it is. It's trying to find places you think can help you, but also an experience that you might not get. So again, it's going going abroad to watch games. You know, I did it a couple of seasons ago. I went went over to watch. It was Armenia Bielefeld versus Wolfsburg in the German. It was actually the German. It was either the semi final or the quarter final. It might have been the quarter final. Bielefeld's only a small, pretty small team, really. I think they've been a decent side, but I turned up expecting this kind of like five thousand. See a stadium. It's like thirty thousand there. It was absolutely incredible atmosphere, and I think you know sometimes those experiences not only do they sort of rekindle your love for football because it's just you don't go as a fan very often, do we? We go watching players or yeah. or whatever. So actually, sometimes seeing a different style of football or seeing a different environment is is just as important as as um, you know taking a learning opportunity. I've got it in Joe, that's it, 10 a.m. me now. Yeah. <laughs> but I think even taking those opportunities to go and watch something else and get your enjoyment of sport. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot to learn in other sports as well, isn't there? I mean, there's so many crossover opportunities at other sports, well, we isn't there? Like that. We've, you know? been, we've been football clubs, so like we, took, yeah. we took the Derby lads to, to do some MMA, didn't we? We did. We did until until one of the lads crashed into a uh, into a weights bar, and we thought yeah, the, the season we, was we did a tug of war. We did like a, we did like a tug of war, <laughs> like a bit of a session afterwards, didn't they? They went technical, and then yeah. they did a little they thing about it. they loved yeah. it about they? about getting rid of your marker at corners. It was really interesting. He was yeah, doing I mean, all sorts of arm locks and some strange stuff, but and someone was relevant. It, it was just a good. We always felt that the lads spent a lot of time in the gym and a lot of time in the training ground, didn't we, just because of the nature of the whole championship season. So any opportunity we could to get them out doing something different. And they did like a tug of war. They did a tug of war at the end, didn't they, honestly? Well, 
I think it was Scotty Carson, wasn't it? Scotty, Scotty, Scotty I didn't Carson's know he was team, that strong. Really. Scotty Carson's <laughs> team was winning, and as he's pulled, the other team are let go, and he's crashed into. He literally <laughs> screamed. <laughs> screamed. I won't tell you where the bar. It was like a barbell, wasn't there? I won't tell you where it was inserted, but. But um, they did get it out eventually. <laughs> sure, he won't mind us telling you. We've always thought that was we've always thought that was that was a good a good way of doing things, getting them out of the football environment because you can it's cabin fever, you know, and it's yeah. keeping them motivated yeah. and keeping them interested in doing different things. And we'd put a, a derby. We had we had loads of TVs started around the training ground, so we put stuff on all the time. We're not always football related, but just to just to get them thinking and again inject a bit of fun into it and something different, you know. So. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I'd, you might be good on this, actually, Dave, with your 20 years successive in football, but do, do you think players have changed? Because people say they you can't criticise a player as much now because millennials are different, you know? Well, I think, yeah, you only have to go into any dressing room and you see once who's come off training, they're onto their phones, you know? So that kind of time that they spend interacting with each other has probably been reduced. Can they take criticism? I know I'm not the one normally handing it out, you know, but I think they also have to know what the standards are and what yeah. the values no. are. It's a simple answer. Is that right? Well, they couldn't. <laughs> you know, so, some of them, you know, as soon as you say something something bad to them, you know, would react really, really poorly. Whereas, you know, some of the old school players could just take in, they'd be out, it was water off a duck's back, you know. But mm. I, think, I think we realised that football had changed when we, when we, Joe's just wrote something down on my page. I'm, I'm trying to work out how he's going to get oh, this yes. into the conversation. Go on, Joe. We realised that. Yeah, that was a Birmingham oh, yeah, money on in that purchases on Pokemon Go. It's become like a competition. It's ridiculous. So, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is so different, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's different. I think it's different, but obviously you have to... You can all sit there and say, oh, you know, it wasn't like this 20 years ago or it wasn't like this 10 years ago. And, and I'm sure our parents would say, well, it wasn't like this in our day. That's what everyone does, doesn't they? You know, so I'm thinking back to the Monty Python, is it the, the, the um, Monty Python sketch where one says, uh, you know, I used to walk to school in cardboard. Yeah. Yeah. Like cornflake boxes on my feet. Cornflake, but we didn't have cornflake boxes in my day. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's that old Handful classic. Handful of cold gravel yeah, in the morning for breakfast. It's that old classic. <laughs> but I think the point being, you have to move of it. You know, you can't, if you're trying to, if you're trying to sort of coerce is probably the wrong word, but if you're trying to get players to effectively perform at the highest level, you have to kind of have an understanding of what it is that they, that they want out of yeah, out of the game them. and how that, what motivates them and what makes them tick. And ultimately, you know, standing there saying, "Oh, it's so different. We didn't do this," and you know, it's just not like that anymore. That the players want players want a lot more answers. Players you know, can see a lot more information out, out there right. instantly. So, you know, there's, there's, there's more information available to players. So you've got to be really careful how you use data, for example, because they're probably all using it anyway and can use that against you. You know, we've had, we've had, we've had scenarios where, you know, I've maybe left a player out and said, look, you know, you know, you're not covering a, enough distance. And he says, well, look at last week's training. I think you'll find I was a top, top <laughs> runner because because uh, the GPS lad had given them all the information without me knowing, but. But you see, so you've got to be careful. Everyone's different. Everyone's yeah. different, and you have to move with a you have to move with the times. But ultimately, certain things don't change, do they? Going back to I don't, you know, the way you treat people doesn't change. Everyone wants to feel respected and valued at least, or their hard work valued. And I think that's a you know, there's got to be an element of fairness in the way you you deal with people, and that's how we try to do it. We've always tried to take on. Some managers don't like speaking to the players. Some managers don't want you to go in and see them. We've always been the opposite, where we've always wanted the players to come and see us if they've got a problem. We've wanted the players to 
to it. You know, if, if I don't like a decision, come and see us. And and and, and so use that, that old school mentality of face to face and thrash it out. You know, man to man. That's us. You had a player at Dar- we had a player at Derby, didn't we? That hadn't played as many games as it as he'd hoped. But just from the honesty side of it, he actually enjoyed enjoyed his time a lot more. Yeah, he said, yeah, I spoke to him at the end of the season. I won't give you a name, it's probably a bit unfair, but I spoke to him at the end of the season. He hadn't played many games at all. And he just said, oh, look, I really appreciate the way you've treated me this season because if you hadn't, treat, if you hadn't, if you hadn't spoke to me all the time, my head would have fell off. That was his exact mm, words. Right. So you can't, so even if players are not in the team, you, you understand they're going to be frustrated. Players that are in the team, you know, and, and again, I think it's how you, there's so many other aspects, of course, but a big part of it, in my opinion, is how you make them feel I think coming, coming honestly, work, and yes. integrity about what you, you do in your work. You mm. know, if, they, yeah. if it's been explained to them and you're treating them in the right way, most players won't have an axe to grind with you. You're always going to get some who'll try and use it for their own ends. They'll do it when they've, you know, gone away from the club or they'll release it through an agent or something like that to try and create some pressure on you because, you know, they, they feel they could affect you in that way. Social uh, media. I'll put it on social media. Well, social media is their fast way now of being able to respond to anything, to a fan. fan asks them a question, they can suddenly unload about something at the club or how they were treated. But It's a way of putting pressure on people and it's a way of putting pressure on the manager now. You see it so often, don't you? I think there was a scenario in Middlesbrough, wasn't there, where there's players putting posts out and it's, they don't put the actual real thing they're going to say. It's like a bit cryptic, isn't it? And I yeah, think yeah, yeah. That's something clubs need to get a hold of, in my opinion. Well, you look at what the, the NBA do, you know, you've got a, or the NFL, they put a, a window around match time where the players are not allowed to interact with social media, you know, and that immediately takes away their ability to undercut, you know, what the team's about, you know, because they're still part of a team. They're still in the dressing room with all those players, you know, but we certainly need them to to buy in, hopefully, to what we're trying to do, which is mm. win games of football. Yeah, can be very stressful for players as well, can't it? I was talking to Lee McCulloch saying some of the young lads, where he is, they, they look through all the replies saying they're rubbish and, they're, and it's really stressful for them, you know, they get quite down. I don't think there's a play. I, 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 I struggle to get my. I understand. I understand social media and the strength and the power of social media. I get that, and yet I think sometimes, particularly as a manager, you have to take a stance. Whether you know, if you're going to do it, that's fine. But I think if you're going to do it, you got to do it all the time. You can't just do it when you win games. You know what? You know if you lose a game, you can't then just go missing for a week. I think you've got to. It's got to be all the time. But I just find that so difficult to. If you're a player. I, I mean, there's a lots of players. I mean, I see lots of players that do some great things on social media. You know, they give a lot of stuff away, give the boots away to charity all the time. People, you know, so there's a great interaction with fans, but I also think that would be so difficult. You'd have to, if you read every single message back, oh, I just can't, I can't understand what sort of mental state that would put that. That must be such a difficult thing to balance off. I was thinking there about how players have changed, but also how coaching and management's changed. I was interested when I spoke to Joe before, he was saying that you actually code yourself then, Gary, and you're quite involved with the analysis and sports code. I think you, like, look, I mean, you know, what I know about coding or analysis and what Joe knows about analysis are completely different ends of the spectrum. So, but I think what you do is you have to have an understanding of, of how everybody works. You know, I, I think when I, when I finish playing, I try to, understand a little bit about physiology not not a massive amount but just enough so that you can at least understand what's going on when someone tells you what their opinion is of a situation so you know I think but you then of course get experts in the field to do it but I think as a manager you've almost got to be sort of multi-skilled a little bit to a, to a certain level just to understand what everyone's role is and, and what everyone you know what what everyone's sort of you know 
expertise is to a certain degree. So I think the analysis, I mean, for me, the analysis in particular is getting huge. I mean, we've spoke about, you know, the fact that now rather than have three coaches on the, on the, on the bench, you know, because you can have some electronics on there because you can get live data, you know, the, the yeah, physical data coming in, yeah. the, the live data coming in, the technical data, you know, we'd almost be better off. We spoke about Joe actually maybe sitting on the bench next time. Not, and I know it's unusual, but I think in other countries, I would imagine, or other sports, they're probably doing that already, I would imagine, because ultimately you can give the manager not just, not just your opinion, but you can give your manager an objective analysis of exactly what's going on. We spoke about trying to predict. This is a thing for us, I think. Sometimes we've, we've been labelled a little bit in the past as a group, maybe, you know, sort of not old-fashioned values. I don't, I don't necessarily mean that. You know, people talk about style of play and everything or whatever. But I think because we don't shout about it, you know, some of the things we've done, for example, have been more advanced i think than 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 a lot of people would understand you know what i mean so so we spoke about you know predict predicting certain things on the pitch predicting when players are starting to fatigue you know predicting certain patterns in the game around possession predicting where opportunities to attack and the spaces are in games and you can do a lot of that on data of course data is never going to replace your human your human eye and your, your your instinct for the game but it can support sometimes your decision-making. And I think that's where that's when it's starting to get more and more important. It was less important, I think, maybe a year or two ago in terms of being on the bench. But now, because, again, you can have that live feed technologies moving forward so quickly, you can make some of those in-game interventions with a little bit of knowledge around what it actually is rather than what you think it is. You know, so it's, it's just it's interesting. It's isn't it? Yeah. It's fascinating. It's a great, it's a, we speak about it all the time. There's just so many different ways to, to move forward. Again, you can do none of these things and still be successful. You know, we, at League Two, we had none of this. You know, literally you had one physio, you had a part-time fitness coach and, and one other coach. You know, it doesn't stop you being successful, but when you've got an opportunity to, to play around with some, I mean, some of the things we were doing at Derby because of the, because of the technology we had available, you mm-hmm. know, for, for me was, was light years ahead of what we're doing at Birmingham, mm-hmm. for example, yeah, just because we had the, 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 the stuff available. I think we spoke about it before, about, about the modern day coach and the modern day manager. I think the turnaround time in games now, especially in the championship is Saturday, Tuesday, and that need to instantly feedback to the players is, is massive. So, Whereas five, six years ago, it was an analyst cutting out stuff from the game, coding the game live, getting a phone call with some times on it, and then going through that. You know, I think the gaffer being able to, to, to code games himself and for us to have the conversation and share, share timelines and, and then the other coaches being able to do it as well. When you're coming on a Monday morning, instead of it just being, you know, here's one video that one person's put together, so many people get, can get involved in it now. And I think that's where... Uni meetings are becoming a lot more popular, and I think unit coaches as well, which which, which we've tried to do, which is relatively new. If, if in my opinion, in football, you know, having a defensive coach, All right, so speciality that, yeah, coaches, yeah, right, midfield okay. striker coach, um, not the in and out of possession like the England team have. With yeah, but I think I, I, I think we probably do that our, ourselves in terms yeah, of right. in terms of the, the gaffer. The gaffer will probably look more in and out of possession, and then the specialist coaches will look at more for their units. We break that down, don't you? So yeah. you break down what it is that you want them to coach in and out of possession around your philosophy, around yeah. how we want to work. And then the aim then is that they then do the extra work after training, the specialist work, the unit meetings, all based around that philosophy. I think what, one of the things we found is we just maybe allowed them to have more time 
with those groups. Yeah. Of course, you can never take away the relationship between each unit. We understand that. We still do a lot of work together. But it was just a good way of... of they open up a lot more, don't they? They open up well. a lot more to, to one... You know, Kev Phillips had the strikers at, at Stoke, you know, for example. And, you know, you can build a really good relationship yeah. with, those, with those strikers, you know. And, and I was trying to think how many goals I scored. I was trying to... Just no, in case Kev got Sido. blamed for that. But no, he got Sido scoring. Yeah, he got Sido scoring. Had a really good relationship. A great relationship with Sido, with Vids last year. Yeah, Vids, yeah. Yeah, so we... You know, I think it's just something we've... We just tried to push the boundaries, I think, all the time of what what we're doing but what I think what we're alluding to earlier is that we're not the type of obviously we're doing this now so we're in discussion but you know you could spend every press conference talking about all the new things that you're doing to make you sound perhaps more advanced more advanced but the reality is that's what we're doing you don't need to tell anyone you know so we, it, the results will dictate that you know and we've always tried to be pretty pretty humble like yeah. that in that sense and this is what we'll reflect on this when we're, when hmm. we're out of work whether it worked or not you know, these these are all things that we that we talk about. You know, or are there things in those positions that we that we could have done differently? Are there certain bits of data that we we could have looked at? You know, that's uh, that perhaps we weren't. So I think again, that's where this time, like we spoke about earlier, comes in handy that we can actually reflect on what's worked, what hasn't worked quite as well as we'd hoped it would have done, and and then take it into the next role. Yeah. The results, are the results as well, aren't they? You know, for yeah. example. At Derby, I think people spoke about, oh, you know, maybe it wasn't really that attacking. We scored more, we won more games by three goals or more than any other team in the division last Vids, year. Vids was we golden boot winner. We were the fourth highest scoring team. Vidra was golden boot winner. Yet, because we don't challenge that perception, because you can't spend all day doing that, you have to just accept what people think. But the reality is, we were attacking and we scored quite a lot of goals, you know. So, um, but again, you know, it's not the sort of thing you're going to go and do a a big article on and get someone to release it just to try and disprove people. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I know speaking to a lot of British coaches, they were angry about the Bielsa presentation. Not as much at him, but the response to it that he was reinventing the wheel and, you know, the foreign coaches are so much more advanced, really. I think, and that I think did with, wind people up. Right? I think with innovation or anything like that, it's easy to put yourself out there as being the first or the best or using the most kind of things if it doesn't support your philosophy and how you're trying to work and it's not adding value, then it's, it's pointless having it in the building. You know, you have to still look at everything on its merits and think, is it going to add to it? You know, so, so for Leeds, for example, we were using live GPS at that game and I was immediately able to tell the manager like where we were. We had a couple of players on that first game of the season who were just, you know, so far below the level that they needed to be. And we're able to use that innovation live to hopefully impact on on the game, you know. So, but certainly for him to, to do that press conference, yeah, it was certainly purporting to do a lot of stuff that nobody else was doing. But also, people got very defensive about the fact that they're all saying like, "We're all doing it." Yeah, but it's like we spoke about like the whole reason. Look, Simon certainly does does what he does. He's trying to not educate people, but open yeah. people's yeah, eyes to, yeah, to, to what's going on. So it. it it wasn't so much a, what Bielsa was saying or, or doing or whatnot. It's just because people haven't haven't seen it happening before. Because people, football is quite closed off. You know, like you say, people don't don't talk about it too much. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. it was literally just he was the first person to really in the mainstream just just get out what he was doing. And in my opinion, he was he wasn't trying to claim that he was doing something that other people aren't doing. I think it, it was the reverse. I think he was trying to say 
this is what everybody does. You know, this isn't this isn't out of the ordinary. I think what was difficult at the time was because everybody got asked about it in a press conference, all the managers in the championship and all over the place because uh, because of his reputation. You know, even the Premier League managers, I think, got asked in their press conferences. And there was a mor- there was a kind of there was a kind of answer you felt you had to give morally, which is of course morally it's wrong doing what they've done, but there was a professional opinion behind the scenes. Certainly, that I had that you felt you know what he's going to the he's going to the lengths that maybe people won't admit to doing, but he's just trying. You think about marginal gains, you know, whether it's whether it's morally right or wrong, you know, what he's doing is he's pushing. I mean, I remember the first game of the season; they had coaches yeah, in the stands yeah. with microphones on. And they were giving information to the players, weren't they? Yeah, they had one the on almost side every, of the dugout. opposite side of the dugout, and they picked running, up, running up and down the touchline. They picked up on Sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Picked up on Sky. How did that work then? Sorry, I think he, he had he had coaches he had coaching staff basically sat opposite the side of the dugouts are on, and he had about three staff like basically spaced out, and they were giving information to the players whenever they were taking a throw in. He'd just give some crucial. I would imagine just give some crucial information on. Whether that was something to do with a language barrier in terms of being harder for him to give that information on himself. But what you had to admire is you had to admire the fact that he was thinking outside the box. Massively. He was thinking differently, whether it was a cultural thing or not. He was thinking differently to how a lot of people were, were thinking necessarily. He wasn't necessarily doing so many different things. But you had to admire the fact he was trying to push the envelope a little bit. And you just didn't want to say that too much publicly because, of course, it would look like you condone. <laughs> you know how the media works yeah. now. You say that. You know, Gary Rowett condones spying on, you know, spying on other teams. It's not that at all. What you're trying to at least acknowledge is he's, he's going to the lengths of detail that some of us might not, you know, have thought about doing. Yeah. In your next job, would you be tempted to be a bit more open about your methods? Because that's something a few coaches have said again. Maybe we should explain it a bit more. It's hard to change who you are, I think. Isn't yeah. it? It's hard to change how you work. I mean, you know, we've spoke about this before. We've spoke about... You know, maybe the way that we, maybe the way I speak in press conferences, I, tr- I don't, I, I tend to be more, I think I tend to talk down what we do or I tend to be more modest, be more modest yeah. about what we do. If we've played badly, I'll say, look, we've played badly. I always think you, there's no point pulling the wool over the fans' eyes, you know, but I think we are entering, we're talking about how people are changing and people respond to different things. And, and, and I think there is an element of, Maybe we should. Maybe you have to extol what you do a little bit more so that people understand it and give you more time. You know, and I think that's just the nature. That's just the nature of it. You know, I mean, we've always had a very good relationship with the with the clubs that we've worked at. You know, behind the scenes uh, with the staff, with the fam in Birmingham, we had a great relationship with the fans. You know, different clubs, different challenges, of course, at Stoke. But ultimately, you're trying to you're trying to be honest. And, and, you know, I think maybe now you have to just temper some of that honesty in terms of maybe explaining, like you say, to the fans a little bit more about what you're doing, you know, because, but I don't think, but I don't think what, what you can't do, I don't think you can try too hard to suddenly portray something in a different way to that, that is how you work. And I think that's difficult. It's also difficult for the guys. It must be difficult for, for the guys. We know we're doing a lot of good stuff behind the scenes, culturally and, and, you know, and what you tend to find is that doesn't get spoke about a lot. And actually, often the opposite, when you leave clubs, often people, you know, it's like that, you know, any any manager will talk about fitness, you know, they are the fitness, you know, and they're not necessarily being critical, but it, but if you've worked there hard at that type of thing, we spoke about this previously, haven't we? But if you're working hard behind the scenes, that sometimes people will latch onto that and, and not give the staff the credit for the way they've worked as well. So I think a lot of the credit comes from 
comes from the players and and their and their response. You know, like when we've left clubs, it's actually really nice that the actual players getting in touch and whether it's straight away on the phone or or whatever, or whether it's whether it's at games. You know, when you when you see them again, like they're actually they're, the actual players' feedback is integral because it's really hard for them to be honest with you all the time, whether they're happy or enjoying it or whatnot. But when you leave somewhere and you receive the messages or they get in touch and you know, I think. I think that's that's massive, and I think that's that's probably as good as we can get for feedback. You know, you don't you don't always get feedback in football. You know, you're kind of left wondering at times. But when a player gets in touch and tells you what you were doing, they really enjoyed it, or you know that it, it's not been the same or whatever. I think that's probably that's probably the nicest feedback you can get. Yeah, I think I think you say that across all three clubs we've been at is when you've left, people have missed what you gave them. You know, be that culturally around the club the type of training you did with mm-hmm. them you know on and off the, the field yeah. you know the fact that you cared for them not just in terms of their their physical care and the work you did there to make them better athletes and hopefully stay fit and available and on the pitch and available for selection but also you looked after them as people but we also know we've gone into clubs where they haven't done any social interaction with the players for years you know they've, they've never been on a night out as a group you know they they go on a christmas party and like three people go you know they don't go for meals they've never been you know as lame as it might sound they don't go never had a bowling party or you know and and we've had some great success by just organizing little fun nights out to kind of build that culture because fundamentally on a saturday or a tuesday you're asking those guys to go to war together and if they've got no kind of social bond outside of training every day how do you expect them to suddenly be a cohesive group you know and you you see it at the end of every year teams and players talk about how they need to come together as a group more well one of our main roles is to try and encourage that paintball it's good paintball and go-karting yeah when tom odderston brought his own paintball rifle (laughs) you know it was a little bit worrying now wasn't it it was like the most powerful paintball gun i've ever seen i won't tell you some people made some good money from getting shot by that i'm sure he's shot an under 23 playing the wrestling one that's another story disclaimer there that's Good one to wrap up on. <laughs> Tom Middleton, Tom Middleton. Thanks for your time. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for having us. Yeah, appreciate brilliant. It. Thank you. Thank you. Nice one. Brilliant. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association for Huddle. We'll be back next month for another look behind the scenes in pro football. In the meantime, you can follow updates on the Training Ground Guru website and on Twitter at ground underscore guru.